Imagine you're at a wedding, but not just any wedding, your wedding. And you're up there and you're about to make the covenant with your significant other. And you're there and you're at the covenant, but you're, you're going to make this covenant now. And there are these vows, there are these promises, there are these expectations that go along with this covenant. Right? You're making it, you're saying, yes, I will marry you and I will look after you, I will care for you, I will love you through thick and thin and all of these other promises that we're making with this commitment, this lifelong, eternal covenant we're making with this person. And so as the weeks go by, you're actually telling your spouse every single day, hey, I love you. I love you. I love you. And you tell them this actually like multiple times a day, even you're like, hey, do you know that I love you? But you don't actually uphold the vows you made. No, you just tell her I love you. Is she going to believe you? Is she going to believe the fact that you're telling her you love her if you don't do what you said you were supposed to do? No, because love It's not about what you say. In fact, what you say is almost none of it. Love is what you do. Love is showing you you love. So why is it that today many who say they believe and they love God do not show it? Many are that man who say every day to God, God, I love you, God, I love you, God, I love you, God, I love you so much. Oh, Jesus, I love you so much. You're so amazing. But they don't do what they agreed to do when they entered that covenant. See, your relationship with God is no different. When you come into, when you give your life to him, when you give your heart to him and everything. When you say, God, I will follow you. Yes, I do is what you're doing. You're saying I do to the covenant that was made between you and God. But see, many people don't understand what that covenant is. How will you agree and, 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 and actually follow up on those promises that you made when you said yes to God? If you don't even know what the covenant is. Many are in that case, but many are also simply in, oh, God, I love you. I love you. I love you. But their actions do otherwise. Yeshua said this. Jesus said, why do you say you love me, but you don't do the things that I told you to do? Do you think that's going to like you think I'm going to be fooled by that? No. And every single time that these people came to Jesus, they were like, Jesus, I want to follow you. And he's like, "Okay, cool. So sell everything. You can follow me. And then they were like, no, I'm not sure I can do that, but I love you. Is that enough? Jesus was like, no, it's not enough. Goodbye. And he left. You see, there was an expectation that it's not enough to just tell me you love me. Show me you love me. That's how I know you love me. You see, this is all about a priesthood. When we come to Christ and we, we, we become part of this Melchizedek, of this priesthood that he is a part of. And many say that the, the role of Jesus or what, part of what he came to do is he actually raised the standard of the law of God. Right. So, and then that's true. He said, for example, like instead of 
Um, you know, he said, you have heard it said, commit adultery, don't commit adultery. I tell you, whoever looks at a woman of lust has committed adultery in his heart. You have heard it said, you know, murder. And I tell you that if you call someone a fool, you have murdered. So, of course, yes, he is in the Beatitudes. He is raising the standard of the law. But how interesting that many people, while they agree on that, they then toss out the law that he raised the standard on. You see, he did not. Yeshua said, he said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law, the Torah or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say, until heaven and earth passes away, not a dot and odor will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least. They will be called least in my kingdom. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And there's two things you need to see. The first is he said, I don't come to abolish, but to fulfill that word. Fulfill doesn't mean I came to do the law so you don't have to. It's not what it means. The word is pleru in the Greek, and it means bring fullness of meaning. It means bring um, it's like having a, it actually means fill to individual capacity. It's like having a glass of water, that glass of water having been having being half full. And he says, I came to pour more water in so that glass can be full. That's what he said. I'd come to throw out the glass. I'd throw away the law. I came to fill it with meaning, with myself, with love, with understanding, with what the point is. That's what I came to do. And then he goes on. He says, whoever says one of the least of the commandments of God, whoever throws out one drop of this water will be called least in my kingdom. Whoever does, but whoever does and teaches this about this will be called great in my kingdom of heaven. There's no two ways about it, brothers and sisters. If you say that, for example, the Sabbath, I don't need to, we don't need to do it anymore. You will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. If you say the feast days, we don't need to do that anymore. You will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. If you and I, the list goes on, any of God's Torah and prophets, if you say the any of the least of these is not, we shouldn't do them and, you, and we shouldn't teach them, you will be called least. That's the words of our Messiah. We just read it. Okay, there's no two ways about this. And then he goes on and he says, uh, whoever, if your if your righteousness does not exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter in the kingdom of heaven. And right after that verse, right, he goes and he goes into the Beatitudes of you've heard it said about adultery. I tell you, don't look at a woman of life. You've heard it said about murder. I tell you, if you call someone a fool, you have committed murder. If you call someone an idiot, you have committed murder in your heart. Okay, so he's actually now raising the standard of the law. Like we said, he's making it harder and he's saying it's so much more about just the act of murder. It's what you do long before that in your heart. Okay, so why is he saying that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom. He is saying that because he's literally meaning what he says and he says what he means that if you're not more righteous in your works, if you're not more righteous in your actions, because all of this that he's been saying in these verses are about what you do and teach. If you're not more righteous than that they were because they were hypocrites, then you'll by no means enter the kingdom. Because see, he understood it, they were hypocrites. They, while they had the understanding of the law, they memorized the law, they knew the law, they did not actually do it because 
they were hypocrites. They, they taught something and did something else. And they, they didn't understand the heart of the Lord. They didn't understand the way your matters. They didn't understand love. They had no love. And he says, well, you better have love. You better have a deeper thing guarding this because then you won't be. Otherwise, you won't be part of my kingdom at all. And he says, well, and if you teach one of the least of these is abolished, you'll be called least in my kingdom. Hey, you'll make you may make it in, but you'll be called least. See, brothers and sisters, this video is really serious. You need to listen because mainstream doctrines do not always agree with what I'm saying here. But this is what Jesus says. This is out of his mouth. There's no two ways about it. There's no more excuses regarding it. We need to sit down and really ask, are we going to follow a church doctrine or a man-made doctrine that says we can pick and choose what we want to do? Or are we going to say, Jesus, I'm going to walk just like you and I'm going to make excuses about what part of you I don't want anymore. Because listen to me. What do we do when we say we don't need to keep the Sabbath? We don't need to keep the feast days. We can eat whatever we want. We are throwing out a piece of Jesus we don't want because Jesus ate clean food only because eating unclean food would be a sin. You know, you say, no, PD, there's many verses in the New Testament. I say, no, you have been listening to false doctrine. You need to get free because his disciples didn't touch unclean food. Peter said, Lord, I haven't eaten unclean food in my life. Remember? So there's more to these verses and I've got many videos on that. Please go look at my unclean food videos regarding that. And others would say, oh, but those feast days, we don't need to keep that. That's Jewish. That's a lie from the pit of hell. And others would say, oh, we need to keep the Sabbath because every day is a Sabbath now. And yes, we do rest every day in him. But there's one day he said you don't work. You see, there are these things that we have tossed out completely because we want to pick about a part of him that we want. Jesus kept every single feast to the T. He ate perfectly well. He 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 kept all these things and he didn't transgress one because one John three verse four says, if you transgress a law, that is the definition of what sin is. That is sin. So if Jesus make the mistake. If he break, broke a law, he would be in sin. He wouldn't be able to die for me and you. And brothers and sisters, I'm not talking about how we get into heaven today. I'm talking about how to not be least in the kingdom. There's a difference. I'm talking about how do we walk as he walked? I'm talking about bigger things than just salvation because salvation is the beginning. After that, you need to live for him. Salvation is just getting saved. But thereafter, you need to now pick up your cross, run the race so that you may be as one who wins. So see, listen, there's more to it than just salvation. There's more to it than just um, a pretty prayer. Oh, Jesus, save me. Oh, Jesus, I love you. No, there's more to it. If you want to not be least in the kingdom. Exodus 19 verse 5 says the following. Now, therefore, if if. You will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. You shall be my treasured possession among all people for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Now, see, God is coming to Moses and he says, big if, if you obey my covenant, okay, then 
I will make you part of my royal priesthood. You will be blessed among the nations. You will be set apart by me. And he says, this is what you speak to the children of Israel. He, did, he says, the children of Israel is the ones who you get to say this to. No one else. He's very specific, right? So in other words, if you want this verse to be applicable to you, you need to be part of Israel. Okay? You need to be part of his people who is Israel. Now get this, guys. He talked about a covenant. He said, if you if you obey my voice and keep this covenant, then you'll be part of my royal priesthood. Okay? So this covenant, many say, is completely changed, completely abolished, completely gone. It's completely different from the new covenant. And I do agree there is an old and there is a new covenant. But he's talking about a covenant here. Why does Peter quote this? I want to show you in the New Testament how Peter quotes this old covenant. He quotes from this. He says, he says 1 Peter 2 verse 8. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, first off, he's quoting a verse. Peter's quoting a verse from here in Exodus, which is written to Israel only. Now, why is Peter writing that to us? Because he understands that we, will, we are no longer called Gentiles, but we actually become part of Israel when we become part of Christ. Okay, that's the first thing. The second thing is, why is he quoting this part of Exodus where Moses tells us to obey the Torah laws that were given to Israel? Peter knows we're part of Israel and he knows it's applicable to us. Because see, just because we're not part of the old covenant that Israel in the ancient times broke, it doesn't mean that we are released from the same rulings. He says, these are the things you are to obey. Peter says himself here, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. God was to them and then they disobeyed it. Okay, sure. And then, but he says, you guys are a chosen race, a holy priesthood, or a, a set apart nation. But he can't say that just what, however he wants to, he say, he's saying that to those who are obedient. Because in the Exodus, Moses saying, if you obey the commandments, then, it's a big if, then you will be part of my royal priesthood. And now Peter's doing the same. He's saying, if, then. It's basically quoting it. He's like, He's like, yeah, these people, they were disobedient, but you are a royal priesthood. You are going to be different. You're going to be a holy people. How? By this new covenant. And what is this new covenant? He says in Jeremiah 31 verse 33, This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law in them and write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. Ezekiel 36 verse 26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you and cause you to walk on my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Now, both Jeremiah and Ezekiel is prophesying about the new covenant of God that's coming. And you know what was around when they spoke about this? It was the Torah. When they say God will come and write his law on our heart, 
And when he says, I'm going to give you a spirit that will cause you to obey my statutes and my laws. What laws are you talking about? He's not talking about anything else except what Ezekiel and Jeremiah knew very well. And everyone knows that's the law of God. And that's the Torah and the prophets. He's literally saying, I am writing the Torah and the prophets on your heart. I'm giving a spirit that's going to change you. Take out your heart of stone where the law was written before. Give your heart of flesh where the law will now be written, which changes your nature into a place where you want to and is able to keep it. You see that the covenant is new because the Holy Spirit was given. The covenant is new because it's written on our heart. But the rules are the same. It's all given to Israel. He says there's new covenant as well. By the way, there's new covenant to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. I am giving this new covenant, not to the house of a Gentile and a church and someone who isn't um, in covenant. No, people who are coming into Christ, but then they know they are part of Israel. Look, you can be you can identify as um, a church or a gentile, and that's fine. And you can say, I follow Jesus and, and I respect that. OK, that's good. And God understands by what you actually do mean is you're part of Israel, because by nature, we are all grafted into Israel. OK, you don't you're not. There's there's only Israel in, in the gates of heaven. Right. There's going to be 12 gates in Revelation. Every single one of those gates are one of the names of the tribes of Israel. You're either grafted into Israel or you're not going into those gates. OK, so you are part of Israel if you believe in Christ. And so we can't say that the Torah is abolished for us in the new covenant, because we already said, you know, we all can agree that we are to lift up, uh, that we understand that, that Jesus came to give a weighter matter of the law um, to us. So, he, you know, he, he increased the standard, if you will. But now, does that mean we can murder? Does that mean we're, we're not allowed to, uh, like we discussed, um, talk uh, 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 curse a brother or to tell someone you're a fool because Jesus said that is like murder. But does that mean now we can't do that, but we can murder in the real in the reality, like actual murder? No, of course not. That's ridiculous to think. But that's what we do today. We say, no, um, Jesus came to give us a bigger revelation of the Sabbath that we are now. Um, the Sabbath is every day. And, you know, um, he is our Sabbath rest. He is our Sabbath rest. He did say that. But he never said the Sabbath is every day. He does that now mean we should now just you can do the Sabbath every day? No. Does that mean we can throw out the actual commandment that was in the Torah about how the Sabbath is to be done? No. Just like we're not going to throw out what murder has been defined as in the Torah. Jesus came to fill that glass up. He did not come to throw out the glass, like I mentioned. He did not come to give us throw out the glass and give us some new uh, half a glass. No. He came to put his half with the half that his father already gave in the beginning. The Torah and then the Beatitudes and all the teachings that he gave on the Torah. The love. It brings it all together. That's what Jesus came to do. He didn't come to throw it out. So we can't do that either. The feasts, the, un, the, the dietary laws, all these things, he did not come to throw it out. He did come, however, to teach us more about them, give us deeper revelation on them, make us understand how to not treat others or how to treat others. Like with Cornelius, he said, do not call any man unclean. He's not saying you can eat whatever you want. He's saying, don't tell, don't, don't say I'm not going to associate with a person because they have a different diet than me. You see, Jesus is just continually coming and giving more teaching and revelation on what his father already taught. He never did away with one word because if he did, 
he would be he would be a false prophet. That's just the reality. If anyone, the Torah itself teaches, Deuteronomy 13, if anyone comes to teach that the law is abolished, if anyone teaches something else and leads you away to do some other stuff that, and, and, and say that you don't need to keep the Torah anymore, that man is a false prophet. That's what the law says. That's what God said. So Jesus never, but Jesus never did that. Jesus is of course not a false prophet because he never taught against it. He only encouraged it over and over and over again. And you know how Peter said that a rock of offense has come to them. You know, this rock of offense he's speaking about is Jesus, is Yeshua, because today even he is a rock of offense. He was a rock of offense when he came initially the first time. And even today he's a rock of offense. Back then he was a rock of offense to the Pharisees. Today he's a rock of offense to some of Christ some of Christianity. Because the Pharisees, what was happening is they simply refused. They just said, I don't want to walk like Jesus. That was the biggest thing. They just didn't want to do what he did. They didn't want to um, see the weightier matters of the law. They didn't want to walk that out. That was their problem. Today, it's the same. Like the Pharisees picked and cho chose what they want to do from the word of God and what not to. Today, we do the same. We look at Jesus and even though we say we believe in him, we pick and choose what part of him we want and we don't want the rest. We don't we want to ignore the fact that he kept the Sabbath perfectly well. You see, as an example, we want to ignore these weird things he did because it's strange to us. And in Isaiah, he says, for I've written to them the things of my law, but they have considered it a strange thing. I see God is saying he's prophesying and through Isaiah and he's saying there's going to come a time where my people will consider my law a strange thing because their pastors told them it is their pastor said it's a it's a false doctrine you see brothers and sisters if the law is written on your heart as it is listen listen to me carefully if the law is written on your heart as it is but a man comes and he teaches a false doctrine about that law that is on your heart then you can may just listen to that man, even though your heart cries out to keep the law. Your the pastor, you know, your, your heart may cry out and say, oh, I need rest. I need to rest on the father's day when he set apart in Genesis 2 verse 3. When he created heaven and earth, he set a day apart, a Sabbath day, and I want to rest. That's what your heart cries out. It's written on your heart. But then this pastor comes and he says, oh, no, you don't have to do that. Uh, you know, we have a Sabbath every day and uh, Jesus is now our Sabbath and you can forget about that. You can make people work on the Sabbath. You can work on the Sabbath. You can do what you want on the Sabbath. It doesn't matter anymore. And now you believe that lie. Guess what? In that act, you're not going to listen to the Lord on your heart, but rather to a man. You're going to do what the Pharisees did. They lifted the traditions of men above the law of God. Brothers and sisters, I want to profess to you today what God wants today is he wants to change this back and he wants to lift his word above every single tradition of man so high that traditions can never reach again in your life. He wants to bring you true freedom. Listen, everything I'm saying is because I love you and I want you to be free. I want you to see the truth because the truth will set you free. And listen, it comes down to this thing. Many teach. We don't need to do exactly everything Yeshua did. I just say, forget about everything and everyone and me and everything. But look at what your Messiah did. You're his disciple. The word disciple means 
a Talmudim in Hebrew. That means a disciple. It means someone who follows the concept around a disciple is you look at your teacher, who is Yeshua, and you imitate him from top to bottom, from the way he does his hair, to the way he eats, to the way he walks, to the way he talks to people, to the way he pronounces words. That is what a disciple and it's meant in the first century. When the disciples came and they followed uh, uh, Yeshua, Jesus, that is their mindset when they're following him. That is supposed to be our mindset today. In other words, we're not going to say, oh, I don't have to do this part of Yeshua of Jesus because he did that. So I don't have to No. He did that to show you how. So you see now the difference is many will teach. You don't need to do exactly what he did. Do what you want. I say. We're going to do what he did. We're going to forget about what people say. We're going to stop making excuses and we're going to try our best to walk as our Messiah, not to get saved, not to get some salvation because we're not saved by works. We're saved through faith in him. But because we love him, we're going to do what he said and do what he did. Because that's how we will dwell with him in the kingdom of heaven. That is how we will dine with him. Because see, brothers and sisters, the reality is Matthew 5 speaks of a greatest and a least. That means there will be some that are closer to God than others. There are some that are going to be and I don't know how, but there are going to be some that are going to be privileged over others, dependent on what they did in this life, dependent on whether they taught the law and did it or that they taught that one of the least of them, the laws are, come, are abolished and didn't do it. Something like unclean food, something like the Sabbath, something like the feast, etc. And so I want to show you today in Exodus 19 how God gave his made his wedding vows with Israel. So he says in Exodus 19, verse seven. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and said before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. You see, the reason Peter quoted that that old covenant part in the Exodus now of obey, if you obey, you'll become a royal priesthood is because the terms didn't change. And so now God, again, we're seeing here in, in the Exodus, we're seeing how God comes and he says he lays out all Moses lays out all the wedding vows, all the the terms of the covenant, if you will. And then the people say, yes, we will do that. They profess it and they make that promise to God. And the people who are there, by the way, it's both uh, the native born Israelites, as well as everyone who came out of Egypt, the mixed multitude with them. In other words, Today, that would be Jew and Gentile, everyone. But God sees them as Israel because Israel is his the identity of his people. And then what happens is one of the most glorious events to ever hit this earth. We see. The earth start quaking. We hear. The animals start running away. We hear. The trees start waving in the wind more and more rapidly. And we hear a trumpet blow. And as this thick cloud of darkness comes to settle on the mountain where Moses was, we see God descend on the mountain. And God tells Moses, Moses, you tell these people, don't come near me. Tell them to to make sure that they stay 
Don't come on this mountain because I'm afraid that they will die. Because see, God was so holy, so set apart, so perfect. And the people weren't the people had sinned. The people were dirty. And if they came close to his holiness, they would die right there. And so God is like, no, and he cares for them. He loves them. He's like, no way. Don't come near. Tell them to tell. And he actually tells Moses, go down there. Tell the elders, tell everyone, don't come near me because God cares. And really in that, God is really making the painting the picture for us for why Yeshua had to come, why Jesus had to come. It's because God is so holy, so perfect, so set apart. And we're not. We're born into sin. We sin all the days of our lives and we're, we're people of unclean lips. And then, but then God came and he made a plan. He came to die for us. He came to lay his life down for us. And by his sacrifice, by the sacrifice of this perfect lamb of God, we can actually have the blood cover us. And by that, the death angel passes over us, even though we deserve death, just like the Egyptians did. Just like in Egypt, when the Egyptians, the firstborn, they deserved it. We deserved it too. Israel deserved it too. They were all in sin. But God simply said, if you have faith in me, I will deliver. I will cleanse you. And that's what they did. And that's what we can do today. We simply place our faith in him. And then God leads us out of the Exodus into Egypt through the wilderness. But through that process, we will need to show our faith by our works, show our faith, show our love for God by what we do, what we decide, whether we decide to trust in God or not, whether we decide to keep his his Sabbath or not, whether we decide to murder, steal, kill and destroy or not. And ultimately, really what it comes down to is whether we decide to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, strength, and our neighbor as ourself or not. You see, that's what God desires. And so see, as Israel was previously unable to come up that mountain today, we are able to come to God and see him face to face because of what Christ did for us. And but now get what he does, brothers and sisters. He's on that mountain and this is what he tells Israel. And this is perhaps the most famous chapter in our entire Torah, the giving of the Ten Commandments. Let me read it to you. He says, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in the heavens above, anything in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On the seventh day you shall not do any work. Not you, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who is in your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. 
Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that in your days may be long in the land that your Lord is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And you shall not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, his male servant, female servant, ox, donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, I'd like to just take you through some of the most prominent commandments here and let you see what they really mean. The first thing he says is you shall have no other gods beside me. Now, when he says that, you need to remember that God, when he talks about other gods, you know, in our mindset, we think about carvings and uh, wooden gods and these things that the, that the pagans had and use today. But really, yes, that's part of it. But any kind of idol, but also today, what is very prominent is the fact that we become our own gods. We come and we think we don't need God anymore. And we start believing in other things like evolution or whatever else. Or we simply don't trust God and believe ourselves, trust ourselves, don't want, want, don't want God, don't want to give up control. We want control. And in that we have made an idol of ourselves because we believe we don't need God. We don't, we can deal with this life alone. And that is one of the greatest things. That's one of the first things God is mentioning. The next thing he says is you're not to make a carved image of anything on the earth, anything in heaven or anything beneath the earth, etc. And then you're not allowed to bow down and worship that. So this is a commandment that's been very misunderstood because many believe that God is against any kind of image. So many have even gone as far as to say we don't allow to have, we're not allowed to have photographs because that is a that's an image or we're not allowed to have dolls for our children or toys for our children or anything like that because those are images those are in a way carvings or modern carvings but really we need to look at the context of this verse because the next verse he says you're not allowed to bow down or worship them the reason that they were god is against saying carvings back then was because that was a very common way that idols were worshipped is by making a carving of the idol and then worshiping it god is not against any kind of carving necessarily he is against the worship thereof so today many oftentimes we will see politicians or leaders or someone who saved a nation who was a messiah figure they're, they're, they have statues erected of themselves and people actually worship the statues. We see also statues of even um, Jesus or Yeshua, you know, in the Catholic Church, for example, that, are, that is erected and people worship the image. They try to connect to God through this image. They try and kiss the feet of the statue because they think that is in, in there and lies salvation or that's how they connect to God. That is a lie. And that is what this commandment is, is about. You're not to worship this image. You're not to worship that. The reason I say this is even in the tabernacle, there were images, carved images. Remember that the cherubim, the angels over the um, over the Ark of the Covenant, was uh, carved images but the problem the only thing was they didn't worship them the the angels weren't the thing being worshipped god was being worshipped and god was also not even trying to be worshipped through that we the the images were simply there to give glory to god and beauty in his tabernacle so it's just, god is not necessarily against every single carved image he's more against the worship thereof 
And then, of course, we have the Sabbath. Where this is the only commandment in the list of the Ten Commandments where God says, remember this one. Remember the Sabbath day because he knew we would forget it. And today, ironically, as ironic as it is, when we go through the Ten Commandments, the fourth one, the Sabbath day, is the one that has been most neglected and forgotten in most of Christianity, where it's been totally tossed out and said we don't need to do that anymore because we don't like trusting God for manna from heaven. We don't like God telling us how to what to do with our days. We don't like having to abstain from going to a restaurant or a shopping mall on a day. We rather want to please our flesh. So this is why this commandment has been forgotten and tossed aside is simply because it's very much against our culture and it makes life a little harder. But God calls us to be set apart. And he says in Genesis 2, verse, I actually, he says, this is the day that the Lord has set apart in creation. In Genesis 2, verse 3, as he created the heavens and the earth, he created the Sabbath day too. This predates even the law, it predates everything. It was in the time of Adam and Eve, even this day was created with them. And God even rested on this day. And he asked us to do the same, to rest in Yeshua and what Yeshua did for us, but also physically rest from our labors and not make anyone work on this day. And then he says the famous ones of don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal. And as I mentioned earlier in this teaching, this is where Yeshua laid out the Beatitudes, he, where he said that you've heard that it says, do not commit adultery, you know, and you've heard, do not murder. But I tell you that if you, he actually says the following, he says, I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. God calls us to not out of anger, have outbursts and speak and call people names and do things like that. And he actually says, you'll be liable to hell fire if you do that. You see, Yeshua is really raising the standard here to an incredible place. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, that how Yeshua talked about how we should, uh, our righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. And now the question begs to be answered, how will that ever happen? How will we ever be this righteous? How will we ever be able to accomplish that? With man, it's not possible. With you, it's not possible. But by Yeshua, it is because he comes. And like I mentioned in the new covenant, writes his law on our heart, changes our heart and, and makes us in his image. And now suddenly these things become natural to us. It by nature means that we start becoming people who aren't as angry. We start becoming people who don't let our eyes wander. We start becoming people who do not lie, etc. And so by nature, we will then be more righteous than the scribes and the Pharisees. So see, it's not dependent on us. It is on him who changes us. But then where we fall short, where we make mistakes and we will, where we sin and we will. That's where the blood of Christ covers us because we are all sinful. We are not saved by works. We are saved by grace through faith. But then these 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 works, this chain, the, the works that are manifested in our life is simply the evidence of that faith we have in Christ. So it's simply it demonstrates. Yes, OK, we are safe because we are changing inside. And yes, it's a continual process. It means that every year we will be more looking more alike and we'll be changing over time. And it doesn't mean that we need to be perfect today. OK, 
because you cannot be. And if you think in that you'll 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 have shame because the enemy will come and tell you, oh look how I made this and this and this, how many mistakes you made in your past and today. And no, we understand that we have faith in Him and we can see the changes working in us and we can have uh, hope for the future that He's making us more like Him. And while we try to walk more like Him every day, we will stumble. But if we do and we repent from that, we turn from that, we ask God to forgive us. He is quick to forgive us and. And His grace is, is amazing for us. I hope this short summary of these Ten Commandments blessed you. You know, many take these commandments and what they do is they try to disconnect it from the rest of the Torah. They actually try and make it different. They, they try and say, well, yeah, we need to keep the Ten Commandments, but the rest of the God, law, law of God, we don't need to keep. Just the ones that were actually the Ten Commandments given there. I want to submit to you, this is far from the truth and this is a lie straight from the pit of hell. The reason is, is that the ten, if someone believes that, it simply demonstrates that they don't understand that you cannot keep the Ten Commandments without knowing and keeping the rest of the law and the prophets too. How will you know how to keep the Sabbath without the, reading the teachings around it that's found in the rest of the Torah? How will you learn around how to treat your neighbor uh, if you haven't learned in the Torah what to do when you've borrowed something from them or when their cattle comes into your um, place? You know, many of these things are there. They're very practical instructions that God has given us. Or if you borrow, borrow something and you break it, what are you to do to to be according to Torah, to the law of God, to repay that person? And how much should you repay? These are just a few simple examples, but the, the rest of the Torah and the laws of God is there to bless us and teach us how to be more like Yeshua. Yeshua had to memorize and he walked it out perfectly. And we ought to try too. You see, there is no such thing as, you know, many would say there's these ceremonial laws and there's a moral law and there's this, these distinctions that are made. Brothers and sisters, that word moral and ceremonial law is not made that those distinctions were never made by God. Those are man made distinctions, man made. God never said he actually says in the Exodus, I have given you one law for the sojourner and the native born. There are many laws and many that we can't keep because for example, if I'm a male and this law is for a female, I can't keep it. If I'm a normal average guy, average Joe, and there is a uh, priest, then I'm not going to be able to keep that. And I shouldn't be keeping that law. If there is a law surrounding how to make a sacrifice, I can't do that because there's no temple and I'm not making sacrifices. So there are many laws that aren't in my, that, that are still uh, they're still valid and that they still stand, but they can't be kept because the circumstances around them aren't around. For example, if there is a road and you're driving on it and there are these signs on the road, you know, these uh, uh, road signs, right? And but they're doing construction on the road and these road signs get covered up. Does it mean that those road signs are now going to be totally abolished? And no, they cover them up so they can be uncovered when it's necessary for them to be applicable to you. When the road opens again one day or what for whatever reason, the same with God's instructions. If there's a law, there are some laws that are simply not applicable to you because of your gender or whatever else. And there are some that aren't applicable because of the time we live in and we can't keep them. 
There have been many times in, in the, uh, the, the cycles of history, like today, when there was no temple or, or they were scattered or, you know, there was no government system that was implementing the governing laws of Israel. And for those reasons, some of them we can't keep because we need to prescribe. We need to follow the prescriptions of the law and how to keep them. We can't go out and stone someone or can make a sacrifice in our backyard. That's ridiculous. And that is not God's heart. You can't do that because the law in itself prohibits that. You can't do it unless it's at a place that God has assigned. You can't do it because we don't have a temple and there's no use today. The laws are for today. We can't say that we only have the Ten Commandments. We don't need to do the rest. The Ten Commandments, we have the, the Torah. We have the Ten Commandments. That is simply a summary of all the laws of God. And then we have love God and love your neighbor at the top there. And these are where all the Torah and the prophets hang from. This is what Jesus said. The love God and love your neighbor is what everything hangs from. He's not. He never said it is. Everything is abolished now or that the love God and love your neighbor is replacing the keeping of. No, it's he's saying that the how you the point is the weightier matter is that the law is supposed to be kept in love. It has to give love, show love to God. It has to show love to your neighbor. If it doesn't do those things, then you're missing the point of keeping it because you're doing something wrong. The point of the law is love and life. And if it doesn't accomplish love and life, you're doing it wrong. That's what Yeshua is getting at. Many say we don't need to study the law of God anymore because it's written on our heart now and we can just do what feels natural to us. Well, that's in contradiction to the word, because how will you know? How will you understand that what you what you're feeling? You see, oftentimes the, the law written on our heart will cry out for us to do something, but we won't have the head knowledge to do to satisfy the law in our heart. You see, God said in Hosea the following Hosea 4 verse 6, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I will reject you that you shall be no priest to me, seeing that you have forgotten the law of your God. I will forget your children. You remember in the beginning of his teaching how Peter talked about how we will become priests and his holy possession, if we are obedient. This is the same. Isaiah says, God says that if you reject the knowledge of his law, I will reject you from being a priest. Why? Because you can't be obedient to something you don't know about. You need the knowledge. And he says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Learn the knowledge so you won't be destroyed. Learn so you can be a priest. How can you be a priest if you don't know what the rules are to being a priest? How can you be a priest without being meticulously trained to do be a priest? Aaron and and, and um, uh, was a priest, a high priest, and him, him as a priest was a picture for us. While the Levitical priesthood in that way, we are not part of that priesthood. That priesthood was given as a picture to us to teach us that we Aaron needed to know the prescriptions to the dot for him to be an effective priest and to him to be allowed to be con to be continue continually be a priest today the same thing to be a priest of Yeshua of, Mal of the priesthood of Melchizedek we must be um, well versed in how to be one how to walk 
like our high priest walked. Yeshua, like Jesus walked. How can you say, I follow my high priest, but you do something totally different from what your high priest does? It makes no sense. We are to be servants to people. We are to be priests of his kingdom. But we need the knowledge to know how to act. The law that's written on our heart. And this is why we oftentimes see people are like, wow, when they start reading his, 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 his instructions, father's instructions, start studying it, and they, they come to something like, for example, the Sabbath, and they'll be like, wow, I wanted to do this. I've always wanted to do this. I don't know why. But now suddenly their hearts are crying out. They're like, this is what I've been missing. This is what's been lost. This is it. This is it. And they get so excited because they understand that this is what their hearts is crying out to because this very commandment that's in their Bible is also on their heart. But someone told them they didn't need to do it anymore. So they were confused because anything that's not of God brings confusion. But now when the, the revelation, the knowledge comes, the head knowledge comes of what is on their heart. Because see, the heart and the head can be disconnected sometimes. But if you have the knowledge of what is on your heart, then your heart is like, yes, and there's a connecting point. And now you can actually walk it out. And because your heart is so in it, it is a pleasure to walk out. You want to walk it out. It gives you freedom. It is your nature. And now you feel like, wow, this is who I am. I'm a priest. This is who I am. This is what God created me to be. I'm a son of God. And in this world, there is freedom. I can be like my Messiah and no one can stop me. And I don't need to make excuses anymore. I now know how to act. I don't need to doubt anymore. I don't need to be unsure anymore. I don't need to feel like I don't know where to go anymore. Because God has shown me what is on my heart. My sisters, that's what it means to study his word and see if we allow someone to tell us you don't need to study that anymore because that's abolished. We're listening to a man that will be least in the kingdom, as Yeshua said, because Yeshua said, if they say the least of these commandments, you don't need to do it. They will be called least. Don't listen to them and be least too. get the knowledge so that you can be a priest unto him. And guess who's highest in the kingdom? Those who walk alongside the high priest. So brothers and sisters, I ask you to go and say, Father, what is there in my life? Where do I lack knowledge? Where do I lack an understanding of what is written on my heart? Am I in, Father, do I understand what is even written there? Is there something in my heart that is crying out that I don't, that I'm not doing, that I'm not, that I haven't been seeing? Because see, brothers and sisters, here's the thing. Even though the law is written on your heart, the Bible also says that the heart is desperately sick. Who can know it? Who can understand it? And then God says, but I know the heart and test the ways to see and judge according to your deeds and the fruits thereof. So God is going to come and he's going to look at your heart. He's going to see. So what is actually written there? And are you doing that? Is the deeds that you're doing, the fruits that you have in alignment with that? Or is it not? Do you have stuff written on your heart that you're not actually walking out? God desires us to go and say, Father, you know, it's a a continuous process and we will always be growing in this. But we need to always be asking, Father, show me how to walk more like you. Show me how to look more like you. Messiah, Jesus, Yeshua, come and change my heart more into you. Give me your knowledge. Give me your revelation. Give me your freedom because the truth will set me free. Father, come. And brothers and sisters, when we do that and we die to ourselves, we don't, we, we, we love. 
Because see, why is it written on your heart? Because your heart is supposed to be full of love. So now the, the, the commandments are written on a place where love is. And now the commandments can be kept in love. And if you don't have love, you can keep as many as you want. It's useless and will mean nothing before God. You need the love to keep it. You need to that that what Yeshua had, that what Yeshua Jesus brought to the commandments. You need that 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 passion, that love for people. That, with that going out and praying for the sick, healing the sick, casting out the demon, feeding the poor, raising the dead, and, and unleash, unleashing the chains of the brokenhearted and those who are lost. You see, we need love for people. And we need to do everything in love. We need to not get angry. We need to not lie. We need to not steal because we love people so much we would never partake from them. We need to keep the Sabbath because we love ourselves and we love God and we know that He created a day because. And now we want to set that day apart because we love him and we want to spend time with him. We want to have that date with Jesus on that Sabbath day. That is what it's about. It's about resting in him and putting the world aside and saying, I'm not going to buy anything. I'm going to work. I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to spend time with my king today. You know, I'm, or, you know, whatever it is, I'm going to keep it in love. And that means that, hey, on the Sabbath, if there's a cough in that pit, I'm going to help the, that cough out. I'm going to go and work to save a life if I need to. Because that is the point of a commandment is to bring life and love. So there is no restriction then. It's not breaking it if it brings life and love. But we have to try our best to keep his word. I hope this made you think. And I'll ask you, I'm going to pray. And I want you to pray with me regarding is there something that you're and me, that me and you were missing? So, Father, we come to you, Lord. Father, we ask you to come and search our heart. Lord, come and show us. Father, where we lack knowledge, show us where we are blinded, show us what we don't see so we can have knowledge. So we are not destroyed for lack of knowledge, but so that we can be a priest with you, Yeshua. Jesus, we want to walk with you. We want to be a priest alongside you. Father, we want to be like you. And Lord, we know that that can be a, a cleansing process, but we ask that you would come and cleanse your threshing floor. You would come and Make us clean and get rid of everything in our hearts is not of you. Everything in our minds, every lie that man has taught us that takes away from what is written on our heart, your law. I pray you would come and do that, Father, and show us how to walk more like you, God. We thank you, Father, for your revelation, your truth. And Lord, I thank you for the outpouring of your spirit and knowledge, spirit and truth in these last days. And I pray you would continue it in your people. In the name of Yeshua, I pray. Thank you for sticking through this teaching. I hope this encouraged and blessed you. May God bless you and keep you. Shine his face upon you. Lift up his counts upon you. Give you strength, shalom, and blessing. And I'll see you guys in the next video. Shalom.